I feel like it's just very similar to an in-person meeting, having one person lead the meeting, whoever is best suited for that takes control. And, you know, I think the best way to be engaged is have having everyone to have their cameras on and be, uh, you know, a hundred percent there in the meeting. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR wherever you get your podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. For many professionals, some portion of their day, if not their entire day, is spent in the virtual realm. Whether we're presenting webinars on GoToMeeting, or going to client meetings on Teams, or holding calls with our teams on Zoom, preparing for remote or virtual experiences often involves more planning than maybe just deciding what flavor bagels to have in the conference room for tomorrow morning's meeting. Joining me to discuss how we can more effectively engage with others in the virtual world is Howie Zales. Howie is an Emmy-awarded camera operator who started his career at the NFL Network and NBC Sports. His passion for broadcasting led him to found Veridity Entertainment Services, a streaming and professionally recorded in-house production service offering TV-quality live stream to corporations. Their clients include T-Mobile, Capital One, The Food Network, and hip-hop group Salt and Peppa. Welcome to Good Morning HR, Howie. Hey, Mike. How are you doing? Thanks I for having me. I appreciate you. Well, I appreciate you joining me. So let's just start with the basics. A lot of people are kind of still uncertain three years after the pandemic and everybody went remote, but they're still uncertain about how to present themselves on camera. So, you know, how to frame the camera, what to wear, what should their background look like? And a lot of us are working, you know, sometime or all of the time out of our homes. And so you've got all those distractions. So let me just squeeze some free consulting out of you while you're here. What am I doing right or wrong so far? And and what are the other considerations that professionals ought to really consider when they're trying to maximize how effective they are just on camera? Yeah, no, I think your, your setup looks great. Um, it it kind of looks similar to mine. My background is peel and stick wallpaper from ah. one of the big box stores. Uh, my wife and I didn't even get divorced putting it up. Uh, it, it went on nice and simple and, uh, right to the right and left of me is where it ends. And it, it, it goes on nice and simple and you can change it whenever you want. And, uh, I highly recommend it. You're so much smarter than me because when we <laughs> went remote, I saw this stuff at Lowe's and this is actual plank. And it took me, okay. I, I ended up spending more money on tools to install this oh crap than, you know, and I, I still have 10 fingers and, you know, and most of my toes, but it's a small miracle. And I wish I'd known they'd had basically shelf liner to do that because that would make my life so much easier. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's so easy. But that background, why, why is a background like that helpful versus just a plain wall or something else? Yeah. So to answer your question, um, you never want to have like a white wall behind you because let's just say most people are going to have some sort of web camera. The web camera is designed with the electronics that it's going to see the white wall and 
it's going to make the overall picture darker because white absorbs the light and it's going to think that the that the camera shot is very bright because of the white wall so if you have anything other than a white wall it helps the camera you know figure out that uh the shot is not overexposed yeah and that's where they and so you see people fought coming in and out of focus and those kind of things like that okay and you never want to have a camera or you never want to have the setting of your camera in autofocus because if you go like this then the camera's going to adjust for focus you know you never want to have the setting of your camera uh on autofocus and usually that's a setting within the app uh that comes with the camera that you're using. Okay. So what else? What talk? Well, yeah. well, while we're talking about backgrounds, a lot of my guests have bookcases full of tchotchkes and books and stuff in the background. Pros or cons of those kind of backgrounds? As long as it's not like right over their shoulder where um, it's just as much in focus as the per as your eyeballs are in focus. Cause then it gets distracting, right? You want something, you want to be far enough away from your background where your background kind of falls out of focus and you can help that with a better camera than just a webcam. I'm using a Canon C500, which is a professional grade camera with a prime lens on it. Uh, and a prime lens is a lens that basically does not zoom in or out. It just, you have to physically pick the camera up and go in or out to get your cam to fix the camera shot. Um, but I'm a professional camera operator. So that's one, you know, one, one end that most people will not go to, but, uh, you definitely can, you know, there are things you can do with, uh, prosumer type cameras and lenses to make your camera shot, uh, just look more professional. And doing that and having the background fall out of focus will definitely help you achieve that. Okay. So another thing that I'm always concerned about is lighting. My office is upstairs here in my home and I've got south facing sun most of the time. And so I'm constantly adjusting the amount of light that I am getting through the windows versus my artificial light on this side. Uh, how important is, is lighting? Is that primarily a focusing thing or is it also not looking like a zombie kind of, kind of thing? No, uh, lighting is hugely important. Uh, I always say if you don't look good and sound good, uh, then it's going to take away from what you're saying. And looking good, is, part of 50% of that or more is the lighting. Um, you want to try to stay away from setting up near a window uh, if you have to be near a window, if you can have some sort of blackout uh, that you can control on the window to, if it, because if it's very sunny, then that side of your face is going to be overexposed. And there's really no way to compensate that on the other side of your face uh, with lighting. Um, I'm in an, a very controlled environment where I have three point lighting. So I have a light on this side that's lighting this side of my face, a light on that side, which is lighting this side of my face and a light above me, hmm. which is lighting my head and my shoulders, which helps the separation from the background. Very interesting. Okay. Um, you mentioned cameras and I think a lot of folks are using still the, the built-in camera on their, their laptop or whatever. So you get a, a good view of, of their nostrils. And, um, what about camera placement? Where, where, what's the, 
the best way. Because uh, like I've got two monitors here and I've got my camera mm-hmm. between the two monitors. But so either I'm looking at my guest, you know, here and it feels like where I'm looking at my notes over here. And so I'm rarely like lined up. How important is that versus attitude and altitude? Yeah, you really want your camera dead center in the middle of the uh, screen that you're looking at. So you're, you know, kind of looking into the lens of the camera. You don't want too much room above your head and you don't want to be, you know, the camera shooting up at you. One way to help achieve that is a computer stand where you put the computer on the stand so uh, the camera is more eye level with you. Okay. And so what about mics? How important are different mics? I'm I'm still surprised by how many guests we do and, and our producer Rob will do a tech run through with them. And and three years into the pandemic, they're still for, I guess, all their calls still using the onboard mic on their laptops. And that for our quality right. you know, standards doesn't sound good. So uh, how do you pick a mic? What, what do you suggest? Uh, how do you evaluate yeah. that? So we do a lot of uh, live streaming, virtual live streaming. We send out these remote capture kits, we call them, or contributor kits. Uh, So what we recommend and what we send out are some sort of Yeti Blue mic, uh, USB microphone that plugs directly into uh, your computer. And you can um, buy uh, any brand headsets that... Uh, has a quarter inch plug that goes into the bottom of the microphone. Uh, so it's an all in one situation. I have a professional grade microphone, which is not necessary for everyone, but um, the Yeti Blue mics work great. Okay. So just, but a USB mic makes a bigger difference. Uh, and yeah, than... absolutely. And you never want to use um, any sort of Bluetooth device especially if you're going to be part of a panel or a LinkedIn live or anything like that, because if you forgot to charge them, or if you don't know how to pair your headsets well with your computer, sometimes they become unpaired and it becomes very difficult to pair. And in the panic of the last second, it becomes impossible. And if there's a tech person on the other side trying to help you, they don't know what you're dealing with. Um, so if you have a wired device like a USB, you know, prosumer type microphone, it's definitely the best situation. And then the other thing is like, what do I wear? Um, you know, as you know, in person, it really doesn't matter as you know, I mean, you could still look like a goober cause you're wearing something that doesn't match or anything else, but on, on camera, you hear a lot of advice about stuff, but what's your take on, on, on how to present on camera as far as what you wear? Never white, uh, kind of like, kind of like the background, um, unless you're going to wear a jacket, uh, like a sports jacket for men or some sort of jacket sweater for women that will cover a lot of the white. Um, and, uh, you want to stay away from patterns that will cause the camera. The word we use is called more where it looks like it's, it's dancing, the, mm. the outfit of what you're wearing. So any any tightly woven patterns that are make the camera, you know, just can't handle the image. What about stripes? And stripes are fine. Are they? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I say, that's one of the things that I, I, I hear a lot is don't wear stripes on, on, on camera, but you say they, they're not that big of a deal. Then. Yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, any, any color considerations, anything like that? Or is it? 
it's no, just, it's primarily uh, just don't wear just, white. And that's yeah, what you're really saying, and huh? okay. you know, I would stay away from using the features on some of the apps that cause like do a chroma key where you're like put yourself in a different background because that's to me is just extremely annoying because it's done electronically than than how it's done how it's supposed to be done where you're keying out uh the green or the blue uh and it's never it never looks right and it's more annoying to people than it being looked than than it looks good yeah and and I know some people who are working from home may not have the ability to have a background or maybe their, 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 their back is facing an open room and they want the privacy. So they use like on zoom, the blur background. Um, but the weirder, the background, I think the more dis- distracting it is during the conversation totally. and then they're, totally. they, they turn their head a little bit and their ear disappears or things, you know, and, and I think that those kind of, I see, I still see a lot of that. Um, yeah, it's definitely annoying and it takes away from the meeting and it makes you look, you know, a little less unprofessional. I, I you know, that's just my take on it. Okay, so from the 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 set and setting, the technical aspect, anything else that we should make sure we we cover when we're just setting up our own uh, workspace? Yeah, I, I you know, I think you just want to approach each each meeting with enough time to get yourself set up. Uh, because you can always run into a technical problem, especially when you're using computer, internet cameras, you know, if your meeting is, you know, always allow 15 extra minutes, uh, for for this, uh, podcast, I came down and made sure I was set up a half hour before, make sure there was no technical problems. And then I walked away until a few minutes before I needed to be in front of the camera. Yeah. And we've, we've definitely, I've. I didn't, you know, we were all Wi-Fi, everybody's on Wi-Fi and all of that, but I had, uh, because it got a little glitchy on a couple occasions, uh, early on in the pandemic, I had hardwired internet run up to my office yeah. here at the house, just one, you know, one, one less failure point. Uh, and sometimes Wi-Fi just doesn't work as well as, as a hardline connection. That's, uh, as a company that does live streams for a living, that's our biggest, problem is people's internet speeds more people have bad internet than people have good internet and when you're doing um uh a virtual meeting or some sort of conference like that it's the upload speed you need to worry about and a lot of the these uh internet providers sell you on you know the download speed but they never tell you what the upload speed is and that's what you really need in order to be have a good internet connection for meetings, um, anything less than a ten to twenty upload speed is absolutely subpar. Yeah, and just because so just because you can you can watch Netflix or Hulu on your Wi-Fi doesn't mean that you're going to be you have, you're not going to have lag on in your conversations on on correct. virtual meetings. Yeah, and people have a very uh, people are not educated in terms of what is good internet speed. So we figured out okay, here's how I present myself, and here's you know I've got my setup and I've got my lighting right. Now the other part though is I'm still talking to this person 
who may be 15 or 1500 miles away over an internet connection, it's not right. the same as sitting in my office back in the old, you know, in the old workspace, having just a one-on-one -on -one conversation. So those, and the value of those in-person meetings was always that personal connection. And that, that seems more difficult here in the, in the virtual world. How, how can we plan our meetings, those one-on-ones or those really small group team meetings so that, the, that we have better connection and, and they're, they're effective. Yeah. I feel like, uh, having enough time, uh, for those meetings, not scheduling meetings back to back to back to back, right. Just because it can be done in the virtual space doesn't mean it, it has to be done that way. Um, giving people time to get something to eat, go to the bathroom in between meetings, things like that, uh, definitely, definitely helps. And, um, just because we can do virtual meetings doesn't mean it, that's, that's the best way to solve the situation. And, um, what about connecting with somebody? I mean, it, any tips on, you know, how to structure the meeting or, um, how to, you know, be more engaging in a conversation that's remote where we're not in the same room? Yeah, I think having one person and, and it's, I feel like it's just very similar to an in-person meeting, having one person lead the meeting, whoever is best suited for that takes control and, you know, having, if everyone, uh, I think the best way to be engaged is have, having everyone to have their cameras on and be, uh, you know, a hundred percent there in the meeting. That's, I think uh, the cameras on versus cameras off is a, you know, you're not in the HR world, but in the HR discussion board world on Facebook and LinkedIn, that's always a hot topic is, I know is, it is. is, you know, cameras on cameras off. And there's a very loud and, and anti cameras on group that really pushes that, you know, um, uh, I'm, you know, people are uncomfortable being on camera and, uh, and so it should, you know, we shouldn't force employees to do that, but I think I agree with you. I can connect. I, I've got an idea of what somebody's going, you know, you know, at least where their eyes are tracking, that they're paying attention, that they're engaged. They're not reading their email. Cause as soon as I'm camera off, my first instinct is to, is to multitask. What else can I be doing? Right. And that's my, mine as well, you know, and, um, I feel like, and this comes from my personal view is if my camera's on, I'm paying more, more and better attention to the meeting in front of me. Yeah. And let's take a quick break. Good morning. HR is brought to you by imperative premium background checks with fast and friendly service. I'm often asked by HR pros who aren't imperative clients whether I have any resources to help them understand the background checks they receive from their screening partners. Like, what do these abbreviations even mean? Or what different legal terms like deferred adjudication or plea and bar mean? It's clear that they are simply confused by the information they're getting back from their background check partner. The problem is, is that the court's records were never designed for a layperson to make sense of them. Their computers are full of abbreviations, numerical references to penal code statutes, and just legal system jargon. And most screening companies just dump that raw information in their clients' laps. At Imperative, our goal is to help our clients make well-informed people decisions. 
And that's why rather than just scraping information off the court's computer screens, every report delivered by Imperative is actually written in plain English by a well-trained analyst. Our goal is that our reports are so easy to understand that our clients never have to do their own research to make sense of them. That seems kind of like a low standard to me, but apparently a lot of screening companies don't make that a priority. And if the simple act of making the reports comprehensible isn't a priority, I have to question the quality of the rest of their research and customer service. If you'd like to explore how Imperative can help you make well-informed decisions about the people you involve in your business, please reach out to us at imperativeinfo.com. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for one half hour of recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Research Credits. Then select episode 117 and enter the keyword virtual. That's V-I-R-T-U-A-L. And now back to my conversation with Howie Zales. So Zoom and Teams that have whiteboards and the ability to, to share screens and screen shares are okay as long as you don't have any inappropriate stuff on your screens. Uh, and we've seen some cases where people, you saw that case where the sales guys were were rating the uh, the attractiveness yeah. of the woman that they were making a sales call on, and they accidentally one of them accidentally shared his screen, and she saw the chat. But so, what about screen shares, whiteboards, and and those smaller meetings? Are are, are there ways to use those to be effective? I'm sure there are. I don't really use them too much, so I, I can't really offer too much info on on how to be effective with that uh, or what really it can add. But uh, I'm sure there are ways. And I think the other thing is agendas, like any an in-person meeting and an agenda is important and everybody knows where we're going. Yeah, I feel like um, handling a virtual meeting as if you were handling the meeting in person the same way. Uh, agendas, what's the topic, who, who's going to be speaking, you know, what, what's to be expected will definitely help. And in our, in my team's uh, team meetings, you know, which could be, you know, depending on the team, anywhere from a dozen to four or five, we start them all out our weekly meetings, team meetings with a segue, kind of a, just a personal catch up so that we are kind of connecting, you know, you know, what was your high point this week or what do you want to share? And we keep them pretty short because I, I don't want to spend 30 minutes doing that, but at least it feels like we connect a little better and, right, and it's, right. you, know, you don't have, cause we don't have the water cooler talk like we used to. So this is at least a way to connect in that meeting. Um, but again, we keep it, we, you know, fairly short uh, because I've been in those meetings where we spend an hour doing that and then the meeting's over. So, right. So when the meeting gets larger, when we're having, um, you know, a larger group or, um, you know, we're trying to do brainstorming sessions or things like that. And we want to actually, you know, either educate and, and, you know, a large group, but still have interaction or solve a problem as part of a larger group. Those are different kind of meetings, I would guess. What, what's, what's your recommendations for how we, we handle those kind of meetings? Yeah. I mean, I, I think maybe designate someone, to take notes or record it, trans have it transcribed, 
um, definitely would, would help out in that, in that sort of way. How do you figure in those large settings, you often have people talking over each other or people hesitant to speak up because they don't want to be the guy who steps on somebody else's toes. Uh, how do you designate who's going to talk when, how do you propose to do that? Um, and you, you, this is like a meeting you're talking. Yeah. Like a larger group event. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you could have one person that that's, you know, their function is to go through the guests of the meeting and figure out who's next. You kind of lay the ground rules of the meeting. You know, there's the function in some of the apps to raise your hand if you want to speak next, or it can be done in the chat. Um, and there could be one, one person that that's their function is to figure out who's going to talk next. And in those larger groups where you may have 30 or more people, um, how important do you think it is to have cameras on there, uh, for, for participants who aren't actively speaking or, or, or contributing at that particular moment? Yeah, that could be a, a, a situation where maybe not having your camera on would would be probably more beneficial because it could be distracting, especially if someone is not as an important player in the meeting, although they have to be there, but you know, they're not as an important player, but um, um, maybe it's not necessary for everyone to have their camera on, just the people that are most important or the moderators or whatever the situation might be. And, and a lot of these, meetings I've been a part of, they have some sort of session where they, you know, they'll do breakout rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, any, any best practices in using breakout rooms? Cause I've been in them where it wasn't clear, you know, they kind of throw you in a breakout room with four people you don't know. And, and it's not always clear what we're really supposed to, to get done or who's in charge or things like that. Yeah. Again, I think like having clear cut instructions or what, what is the objectives of, those breakout rooms, what's to be discussed, uh, the more information that's provided before, I think makes those situations more productive. So, you know, those are the kind of the, you know, committee meetings or larger, you know, group meetings, but a lot of employers are using the virtual world, you know, the technology and the platforms to, deliver training and to hold these other kind of, you know, more one-sided events, you know, like we used to use just go to webinar for something like that, where we just kind of feed the information one direction and any, any best practices on that side on holding those kind of events? Yeah. So, and, and that's what our company specializes in is those bigger type of events where there's a lot of technology involved, where the company is, let's say it's a corporate meeting and they're trying to get all the information out to their investors or to their employees that are scattered all over the world. And um, the best practices is, is to bring in a company that this is what they do, have them handle the tech side uh, production of this production so everything goes off without a hitch uh we do these in per we call them hybrid meetings where some people are there some of the speakers are there some of the speakers are halfway around the world it doesn't matter and we you know help our clients produce these meetings in a very productive and professional way 
Yeah, a lot of the HR associations around the country during COVID went to, you know, fully remote, just doing, you know, basically webinars, but then they felt like there wasn't enough engagement. So they started either with chat or using not as much the webinar model as the, you know, the large meeting model and having people there. And it's always, you know, that worked, they figured that out. But now that they're back in person, a lot of them are still trying to do a virtual meeting uh, and or a hybrid meeting. So they've got people in physically in place and, uh, and they're still trying to have people zoom in remote. If you're setting that up and, you know, especially if it's a, an HR association or a small organization that just wanted to do it, do what they could well. Uh, but, wasn't going to, you know, on every monthly meeting, you know, hire a company to manage, what kind of suggestions would you make for them to make that hybrid versus and, you know, remote and in-person event, uh, a better experience for the attendees? Yeah. Well, that's where it gets tricky, right? Cause we're dealing, you're dealing with a lot of technology and unless you do this often, uh, and you have a team in place that's good at producing this and knows how, uh, it gets tricky because of all the different technology in place. Uh, so my big thing would be to rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and, and make sure that everything in place is set up uh, well in advance to, you know, give you the success that you need. But, um, you know, this is what we do for a living mm-hmm. and we never show up to a production the day of and try to achieve a broadcast or a live stream without, you know, coming in the day before, two days before setting up, rehearsing, making sure that we're connecting with whatever countries that we're supposed to be connecting with, that their internet speed is, you know, up to the level that we need it. And, um, you know, to ensure that we have a successful broadcast. How important uh, in in your experience, is it that the remote audience have camera view of the in person audience that they see the in person yeah. audience? Yeah, is that important at all, or is it just the speaker, the primary focus? Yeah, um, will basically they don't need to really see the faces of the audience. Um, and, and, and this is up to the client, but this is what we'll do a lot. We'll have one wide shot where you'll see the entire stage and maybe the, some of the audience, like just the back of the heads, kind of the mystery science theater 3000 kind of view. Okay. Yeah. And we'll call it the bailout shot or the wide shot just in case. Right. Uh, then we'll have how, depending on however many people are speaking, how however many cameras we need. Um, and then maybe if, if there's a question and answer portion of the, of the event and the client is really inclined for the people to come up to a microphone and be on camera for it to ask their question, then we'll set up a camera in the reverse, uh, shooting that microphone and that area where people can ask questions. But that's a very client specific, uh, request. And of course, there in those cases, I mean, you've got producers on site, you know, working at, at mixer boards and things to cut stuff, you know, cut from camera to camera and all of that. Yeah, we we come up with a uh, team of people, depending on the size of the event, two to two to four people 
uh, in person. And then we also have a remote team of people that are working from their home offices because uh, we try to handle most of our productions with as least many people on site and um, people working the cloud. Okay. And finally, and this may be a little just because of the size of the events y'all do, but do you have any preferred platforms for, you know, we've got Zoom, we've got Teams, we've got, you know, Riverside for recording our podcast and all and all these things. Do you have any any recommendations as to at least if not a specific brand, at least what what you, we should look for in, when we're trying to evaluate how to take our enterprise uh, virtual? Yeah, we, we don't use any of those platforms, <laughs> um, not to speak negatively against them, but we use uh, more of a professional broadcast uh, a software called vMix. Um, it's basically uh, a TV truck in, in a box. Um, and it allows us to do eight simultaneous audio mixes so we can have a meeting in eight different languages. Just to give you an example, um, we can have eight remote guests at a time and we could uh, keep adding on uh, eight at a time if needed. We can have as many cameras in person as we want. Um, and any uh, unlimited video sources, PowerPoint presentations, um, we can stream to as many different uh, locations as we need. And uh, we can also output the PowerPoint presentations to the screens in, in the room if needed. Okay. Well, um, that, uh, that may not work for the, the, you know, you know, our recruiting teams meeting, but, uh, that's the larger size. So when, but when your team is meeting remote, um, do you, is that what you use since you've already got that equipment set up? Is that what y'all use for your small meetings? Yeah. Or, you and know? and the, the good part about what we do and, and the programs that we use, it's all scalable, right? So we have packages from, you know, two to three to $5,000 to $250,000 mm. events. So it's all what the client needs. And the beauty of our equipment is it can produce anything from the smallest event to still still giving very high quality to the largest event. And if you have a fully virtual, uh, you know, let's say LinkedIn Live, uh, we send out our contru computer contributor kits with which are high-end laptops, cameras, ring lights, microphones. And since it's our equipment, as soon as the internet, uh, the computer hits the internet, we can dial into the computer, focus the camera, manipulate the audio, color correct the camera. So it just looks professional and it's done in a professional way. Perfect. And it so, doesn't have to cost, you know, $250,000. Right. And so, yeah, especially as we plan larger events and those kind of special that got to get it right every time kind of events, shareholder meetings, mm -hmm. all hand meetings with employees, those kind of things that we don't want to have to tell Bob, hey, Bob, you're on mute um, as he goes off and, 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 and starts his speech. Those kind of things would be, you know, that's it sounds like that's the, you know, getting a prof getting professional assistance at that level is, is, is just a must. Yeah. Perfect. Definitely. Well, thank you, Howie. That's all the time we have, but I appreciate you joining me today. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. 
And thank you for listening. You can comment on this episode or search our previous episodes at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcast. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer, and you can reach him at robmakespods.com. And thank you to Imperatives Marketing Coordinator, Marianne Hernandez, who keeps the trains running on time. And I'm Mike Coffey, as always. Don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week. And until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up.